great day. And as Pastor Nett was saying, we're continuing in a series that we started over the last couple of weeks, actually last week, uh, called Summer at the Movies. Look, we believe that God likes to have fun, right? That following Jesus is not this somber, religious, monotonous, ritualistic experience, but that it's actually relational, that it actually is personal, right? And so today we're going to dig right back in and we're going to start with another movie clip in a second that comes from a movie that was all the way back in 1985. Could you believe that's almost 40 years ago? You guys are old. <laughs> I was I was born I, I was I was living in 1985, so I feel older, right? But in 1985, Michael J. Fox played the part of a teenager named Marty McFly. Can anybody guess the movie? Back to you're too young to know that young man. How old are you? Like eight, seven, and you, eleven, and he knows that. Yes, Back to the Future. Well, we're actually going to look at a clip from Back to the Future, too. But Marty McFly and the other person, the, the other star in the movie was a guy named Christopher, Christopher Lloyd, who uh, starred as Dr. Emmett Brown, who was this weird scientist who invented a time machine placed inside a remodeled DeLorean, right? This movie was produced by a guy named Steven Spielberg. And Back to the Future, in its heyday, won the Oscars for Best Effects and Best Sound Editing. But its greatest effect is how it impacted our culture, our thinking in those days. You see, this movie expanded our perception of what was possible on film. It opened the imagination to the future of media and so much more. And so that, why is that important? Because, friends, the future plays a big part in how we're living today. And I want to show you how, but first, let's watch this movie clip, and then we'll come right back and get into our, today's message. All right, Back to the Future. You know what I love about Back to the Future? That it brings a, a truth directly into focus that many of us miss. The future isn't as far off as we think, friends. But unfortunately, for many of us, we lose sight of the future because we hold on to something called the past. And what we do in the present matters. The premise of this movie is that everything we do affects the future. How many of you would agree with that, right? How many of you know that tomorrow starts today, right? How many of you know that today is a result of another day that you called today and what you were doing back then, right? And so tomorrow always starts today. And what's interesting is that just as what we've done in the past has affected where we are now, the past can also affect our future if we're still living there, if we're still stuck there, right? And so it's important that we learn how to move on from the past in the present, so that we can focus on the future and we can enjoy a new life. Not just any life. Jesus put it this way. I came to give you an abundant life. A different life. A better life. One that gives you something called hope. And so today I want to talk to you as we look to the scriptures from the heart of God on the topic of getting back 
to the future. Getting back to the future. The future doesn't have to feel so distant. It doesn't have to seem so afar off that we lose sight of it, that we lose hope. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 tells us how we do that. Listen to what it says. It says, praise be to God the F and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has great mercy, and because of his mercy, he, has give he gave us a new life. He gave us a what? A new life. Yeah, a new life. And this new life begins. So watch this. This new life begins. We have a new life, but to begin upon the journey of this new life, to begin to walk it out, to begin to experience it, takes something. And what it takes is this thing called living hope. This new life be, uh, uh, brings us a living hope through Jesus Christ's resurrection from death. And so let's leave that portion of scripture up there for a moment because I want you to consider that hope is not just for the future. Hope is actually for the present. Hope is actually for the present. You see, hope is a confident expectation. Hope is vision that goes beyond the present circumstances. Hope is seeing and believing despite what everything tells you. How many of you could say that you've had some experiences with hope? About five of you. We all have had experiences with hope. I'm thinking about Brianna and Ben right now. Think about this. From the moment they found out that they were having this beautiful little boy, Lexington, all of a sudden life changed. Not just because your belly was growing, right? No, because hopes and dreams began to develop. You began to envision a different future. You began to envision a different life. Choices changed. All that because the future became present. And you see, friends, hope has the power to do that. It's the key ingredient for a new life. So here's a question, though. Why is it that for some of us, this new life that the, the scriptures talk about don't feel so new. Why is it that for some of us this new life actually feels a little bit harder, right? Why is it that while we have a new life, the old still persists? And friends, the reason why it still persists, the reason why this new life feels harder at times. The reason why it doesn't feel so new all the time is because we're lacking this key ingredient called living hope. In the original Greek language here, the term living hope means to be among the living. It means to be in a state of consistent breathing, to have breath. It means to be full of strength, to be fresh, to be invigorated, to be strong. To be animated for life. And what we begin to see is that there is a difference between living hope and what some of us know by experience as dying hope. Dying hope. Because dying hope is the complete opposite. Let me tell you what dying hope sounds like. One day I'll. Someday I'll. Anybody stuck on that island? Someday I'll. Or maybe you've, been, you've, 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 you've experienced it this way. Well, I hope it works out. 
I hope things change. I'm just hoping that it doesn't turn out the way it looks. But you see, friends, that's not hope at all because it has no basis. It provides no vision. So as we get started here today, I want to ask a question that we should all consider. How are you in this area of hope? How are you doing? If your hope is in money, how's that working for you? If your hope is in people, how's that working for you? If your hope is in possessions, how's that working for you? If your hope is distant, how's that working for you? You see, friends, things that come and go provide no hope at all. Things that are fleeting provide no hope at all. It's, that, it's for that reason that the scripture tells us that God has given us this new life with the living hope. And so Proverbs 13, 12 tells us something about dying hope. It tells us hope deferred makes the heart sick. In other words, a hope that is distant, that is afar, that seems unreachable, unreachable, maybe unimaginable, maybe out of your grasp, maybe it's foggy and blurry and, you know, it's good for you and, and it's good for you and it's working for them, but not me, not little old me. You see, that's a deferred hope. And what the scripture tells us is that hope deferred makes the heart sick. It makes the heart sick. The term sick there speaks of weakness. It speaks of disease. It speaks of woundedness. In other words, we can have a hope that is weak, that is wounded, that's bleeding out. But what the scripture also tells us is that a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And this is talking about a hope that is consistent, a hope that is unyielding, a hope that does not give up. Let me ask you something, friend. When you hear that the scripture says that God has destined you for good things, is that a living hope for you or is it a dying hope for you? When you hear that God loves you and he wants to bless you, is that a living hope for you or a dying hope for you? When you hear that God, that nothing can separate you from his love and his purposes for your life, is that a living hope for you or a dying hope for you? When you hear that God has nothing but good toward you, is that a living hope or a dying hope? Well, you don't understand my situation. Well, if God was real, then how come all these things are happening? Can I tell you why, friend? Because people were jacked up. God had nothing to do with it. People mess things up. That makes sense? Right? And so there was a day where Jesus came upon a man who had a dying hope. This man was hopeless. You see, he was blind. And the Bible says, and we're going to read it in a second, that Jesus came into this town called Bethsaida. Can I squeeze in there with you, brother? Right? He comes into this town called Bethsaida. Is this your popcorn? I don't want to sit on your popcorn. And he's amongst these people in Bethsaida, right? And while he's in Bethsaida, a group of people come to him. And they bring him this blind man. And they say, Jesus, he's blind. Would you heal him? Would you open his eyes? Would you help him? You see, it was hopeless. He was blind. There was no medical solution for it. 
nothing was working, and they come to Jesus hoping and a wishing and a praying that maybe he could just touch him and do something. Let's see what the scripture tells us happened here. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. And so watch what it says. Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 22, says that they came to Bethsaida. Now let's start at Bethsaida. Bethsaida, according to the words of Jesus in another portion of scripture, was a place of great unbelief. Jesus said, woe unto you, Chorazin, woe unto you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were done among you were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have all believed. In other words, this was a place of great unbelief. And so Jesus comes to Bethsaida, a place of great unbelief. They did not believe in him. They did not believe his message. They wanted nothing to do with him. But Jesus still went there. Because you see, whether you believe in God or not doesn't move God. He still loves you. He's still reaching out. And so he shows up in Bethsaida, and they bring him to this man in Bethsaida. Right? They bring this man to him. And it goes on to say that they begged Jesus to touch him. It then goes on to say in verse 23 that they, he took the blind man by the hand. Would you allow me, brother? He took the blind man, right, and he took him out of Bethsaida. Took him away from Bethsaida. He said, you don't belong over there. You belong over here with me. What's your name, brother? Chris. Now we know the guy's name in, in, in the Bible. <laughs> right? Because it doesn't tell us his name. So his name was Chris. Right? And so he pulls him out of Bethsaida, right? But the Bible says that he took him by the hand. And he led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes, don't worry about it, brother. We're, we're, not, we're, not, we're not acting that one out. Don't worry about it. He spit on the man's eyes, right? right? He spit on the man's eyes and he put his hands on him. And Jesus asked, do you see anything? And the guy rubs his eyes, right? doesn't say that, but he, he looks up and the guy says, I see people, right? Look, look amongst the crowd, Chris, right? I see people. He says, but they look like trees walking around. In other words, I see something, but it's not clear. It's not clear. It, it might be people, but it looks like trees, Right? And so the scripture goes on to say that once more, Jesus put his hands on this man's eyes. And then his eyes were open, his, eye, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And then Jesus sent him home. But watch this. Home was Bethsaida. And that's not where Jesus sent him. Listen to what the scripture says. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Thank you, Chris. Come on, give it up for Chris. You learn something new in the Bible every day. I never knew his name was Chris. What we see here is a man going from a hopeless situation to one full of hope. From a dead situation Dead eyes to eyes that could see from, an, from a place of, 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 it's just bad, and to a place of renewal. And the question is, how do we go from hopeless to hope? You see, this man could not see just 
not only he couldn't he could not only see his circumstances or the surroundings around him, this man had no vision for life. And I'll tell you why I say that, because in these days, specifically in this cultural environment, in, in the days of Jesus, to be blind was considered, you were considered to be someone who had sinned or were cursed. For whatever reason, you were no good in society. You were relegated to the sidelines of life. And so this man was viewed as someone who was hopeless. And Jesus restores hope. And this hope went beyond the instance of healing his eyes. What we see is that Jesus wanted to lead him to a different life. He wanted to take him from that place, Bethsaida. And so we learn a couple of things about going from hopelessness to hope. And the first thing that we remember is that hope requires that we uproot ourselves from unbelief. Hope requires that we uproot ourselves from unbelief. I want you to start thinking about roots. Because roots are, uh, 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 symbolize settling. They symbolize uh, um, planting oneself. They symbolize taking a hold. They symbolize this is where I'm staying and I'm not letting go. And this man was rooted in a culture, in an environment, in a family, amongst people of great unbelief. And let me tell you how that works when you're around people that think the same, talk the same, act the same, look the same. There's an old saying that they used to say, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's a what? It's a duck, right? See, for some of us, we, you may not be from Bethsaida, but you've been so rooted in everything that you've grown up in, everything that you've known, everything that you've been taught, everything that you've ex experienced, that while you may look to the future, you don't look at it with hope. Because your past informs your present and your future. And that's not the will of God. The reason why Jesus took this man out of Bethsaida was because before he could do anything, he had to remove him from the place of unbelief so that the unbelief can come out of his heart. And I get it. We all believe something. You may believe in Jesus. You may not believe in Jesus. But let me ask you a question if you don't. What do you believe in? And what is that doing for you? How is that bringing hope, helping you? How is that healing your past? How is it, how is it leading you towards greater purposes? You see, the reason why Jesus took him out was to get him out of this place of great unbelief, but also to take the unbelief out of his heart. And what that tells us is that we can't exist in two places. You can't seek Jesus and still seek your unbelief. You can't. I remember a time I had an experience with a man um, and, uh, and, and, you know, I was doing some street ministry with, with a bunch of teenagers, and we showed up in a particular area in Middletown. Had a T-shirt that identified, you know, that I believed in Jesus. I forget what, exactly what it said. And as I'm walking through this town with these kids and all that, and we were doing some street evangelism and stuff, this guy who was outside a bar says to me, hey, you, he says, come here. And I said, you're talking to me? He goes, yeah. He goes, I got a question for you. I said, okay. He says, you believe in Jesus? 
I said, yeah, I believe in Jesus. He says, I believe in Jesus too. I said, really? He says, I said to him, what do you believe about Jesus? He says, I believe that Jesus was a prophet. And I said, okay. So am I understanding that you're saying that if Jesus was a prophet, what you're saying is that Jesus brought a message from God? He said, absolutely. He started cursing me out. I'm going to tell you why. Because I said to him, well, if Jesus brought a message from God, what was the message that he brought? This man was a Muslim. And in that moment, he got so riled up. He got so much in my face. And I'm going to tell you why I share that with you. Because in that moment, I wasn't challenging his belief. I was challenging him to think about what is it that you say you don't believe? What's your unbelief? What does your unbelief tell you? And let's look at your unbelief. And Jesus had to take this man out of this place of unbelief because unbelief and even an attempt to have faith in God doesn't work. James 1, 6 through 8 puts it this way. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. You must believe and not doubt. You must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. You know what's interesting about waves? Waves have no control. Waves bend to the wind. Waves follow what is popular culture. Waves follow what is familial experience. Waves follow what hurts you harbor. That's all waves do. They go back and forth between that. Friends, let me just su submit to you that if you find yourself going back and forth in life, back and forth in life, back and forth in life, and you feel like you're always being beaten up, it's probably because you don't believe. Or maybe you're attempting to believe, but you're also doubting at the same time. And so Jesus, the scripture goes on to say that when you ask, go back please, when you ask, go back please, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts, again, is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. We don't want to be waves. And so it says, that person, the person who's like the wave, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. You can't receive anything. Why? Because such a person is, listen to this, double-minded. Double-minded. And they are unstable in all they do. Belief and unbelief cannot coexist. It cannot coexist. And so hope requires that we uproot ourselves from this place of unbelief. Because as long as we entertain truth and lies will always end up short, friends. The second thing that we see here is that hope requires that we develop vision beyond what's happening in the present. I want you to just take a quick 15 seconds and think about your present situation in life. Just think about it, 15 seconds. Now, I want you to consider this. As you thought about that, what were you telling yourself? What are you actually telling yourself about your situation? What are you telling yourself about your life? What are you telling yourself about your future? And what is your past affirming to you that may be destroying you? 
the reason why this man could not see was not because he was blind. It was because his vision for what was possible was limited by a place called Bethsaida. He was blinded by the only thing he knew, unbelief. And it wasn't until hope became revealed to him that this man had a fighting chance to leave his place of unbelief. Hey, even if you're comfortable in your unbelief, if it's not helping you, then why are you hurting yourself? See, my, my wife, Pastor Nett, was sharing earlier this famous scripture, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? It's her life scripture. It's an all-time favorite for many. I mean, I mean there's got to be at least one person here that has it tattooed somewhere, right? <laughs> it's just one of those scriptures, right? It's on license plates. It's everywhere, right? The scripture says, for I know, says the Lord, the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope. Not to harm you, but to, to give you a hope and a future, right? And so God wants us to live with hope. But the context for the scripture is so important to really appreciate it. And it really speaks to this idea of developing vision beyond what's happening in the present. Let me show you why. Jeremiah 29 verses 4 through 7 give us a clear understanding of how this ties in to the promise of a hope and a future. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty the God of Israel says to all those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Get this. They are in exile. They're not in their lands. They are enslaved. They are oppressed. They are in a bad situation. And God speaks to them in the midst of this situation. And he says to them, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. What are we seeing here? They are in a bad situation. And God doesn't say, oh, lament. Oh, cry. Oh, complain. Oh, oh, your feelings are hurting them. I feel bad for you. God says, start building. God says, start planting. God says, start doing something in the middle of what looks like a bad situation because the last time I checked, God is still the God that works out all things for the good to those who are called according to his purposes and love him. What was God getting at? He was saying, you see yourself in exile, and I'm telling you that what's before you is opportunity. It's opportunity. And you know, when we start acting like the people of Israel in this situation, and we just start crying about, oh my God, it's raining, it's pouring. True story. True story. How many of you woke up today to that big, beautiful blue sky, right? The sun was shining. None of you, right? Yeah, because it didn't happen. 
I woke up to that one too. I woke I wake up super early. I'm usually here really early on Sundays. It's just one of my own things I like to do, just kind of get my mind straight, you know, just really focused. And so my 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 day did not turn out the way I thought it was gonna be, right? My schedule, I'm I'm a creature of habit. I get up at the same time every day, I eat the same breakfast. Not nothing worked, right? I get here, I, I walk upstairs, right? I'm in my office. And then staff starts coming in, volunteers are coming in, I get a call, Pastor, we got water. Uh, okay. I'm thinking, like, what are you talking about? Oh, no, we got water. You need to come see Bridge Kids. We got a leak here. And I'm like, okay. All right, so I come down, and I see a leak. I see another leak. I see water in the Bridge Kids department. And for those of you that know anything about us, you know that we're, we're in the process of purchasing this building. We, we, we're already going into contract. So, so I, I'm glad you're excited because that, that gives me hope. Because this morning, I'm saying, I'm saying, Lord, and this is the building you want us to buy to begin? No, no. And, and so I was in a boo-hoo pity party. I was like, I was just like deflated, man. Really, to be honest with you. I was like, I was just like so heavy. I was like, oh my God, the sky is falling, right? <laughs> it's just like everything just seems so bad. And I started reflecting upon this message and I, and I began to realize that there's a reason why the Bible tells us that when we face various trials, that we should rejoice. It tells us to rejoice, not because we got problems. It tells us to rejoice because in the midst of trials, there's the opportunity for our faith to mature, for our character to be developed, right? For us to be able to grow some spiritual muscles and build some heart to be able to face some things and move forward. Amen? So what I'm proposing to you is, that when life gives you lemons, finish that if you know it, make lemonade. And the premise behind that old saying is not if it's a bad situation, just take the bad and make something else bad. No. It's, it's, you might be in a tough spot, but there's always something that can come out of it. And we have to pull from that. And that's how we begin to develop hope. When we begin to develop vision in the midst of whatever's going on, and we see beyond the present. Amen? The next point I want to share with you here is that when it seems like all hope is lost, God says, do it again. Get this picture. Jesus and Chris meet. I'm not going to spit on you, brother. <laughs> I know some of you are wondering, why would Jesus spit in this guy's eyes? Let me just, let me just get real theological and very, be very quick with it. In Jewish culture, to spit is looked at as vile because it's the equivalent of cursing something. Jesus did not curse this man. Jesus cursed blindness. And so Jesus and Chris are standing there, and Jesus prays for Chris, spits on his eyes, prays for Chris, says, Chris, what do you see? Chris goes, uh... Might be people. I think it's trees. Not sure. Remember the point. God says do it again. You got to do it again. So the Bible says that Jesus prays a second time. 
a second time. The issue wasn't Jesus' prayer. The issue was my man Chris. You see, there was something that was still unclear. And it wasn't his sight. Remember, he just pulled him out of Bethsaida. How old are you, Chris? 42. You look good, brother, for 42. I hope to look like you when I get there, man. <laughs> Listen, it took you 42 years to see the world the way you see it, to respond to it the way you respond to it, to perceive everything around you the way you perceive it. In other words, this guy just left Bethsaida, but Bethsaida is still lingering. And so Jesus prays again. And in Jesus praying again, Chris had to do something again too. I got to believe that you still can. I got to believe that this is still possible. I got to believe that because you cursed this blindness, that this blindness cannot remain in my life. <laughs> Friends, when it seems like all hope is lost, could it be that God's saying to you, do it again, get back up again, continue to pray, continue to press forward, continue to persevere, because he is the God that does the all, the impossible. The last point I want to leave you with here as we close is that once you have hope, you cannot go back to the place that hurt you. Hear where I'm coming from. At the most basic, practical level, Bethsaida was the place where dreams died. Think about this. A place that was known for unbelief so on a very practical level, what, what might that look like? Man, it's a sunny day. Yeah, but the clouds are coming and it's going to rain. What might that look like on a practical level? An entire city founded on unbelief. Man, you know, things are going real good right now. I bet you know life sucks. At some point, it's just all going to burn and go to hell. It's all going to crash. On a very practical level, what might that look like? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really working hard and I'm, and I'm moving ahead and, you know, I feel like I'm progressing, but I just know that I know that I know that for every two steps I take forward, I'm going to end up taking five steps back at some point. Bethsaida was the place where dreams died. Bethsaida was the place where vision diminished. Bethsaida was the place where faith faltered and hurts hindered hope. And once this man, once he was able to see, the Bible says that Jesus sent him home. But you see, he had a new home for him. Because to my man Chris, our friend Chris, home was Bethsaida. But the scripture tells us as we read that Jesus told him, don't go back there. Don't go back there. Don't go back there. Why? 
Because God has not brought you this far for you to go back to everything or anything that kills your dreams, your hopes, and his good plans for your life. Friends, you cannot approach hope with a rocking chair. Let me tell you what I mean by that. For some of us, here's how we approach hope. Here's how we approach faith. We sit in a rocking chair and we're moving forward and moving backwards. We're moving forward and we're moving backwards. And we're saying, man, we're moving. But you ain't going nowhere. Movement, motion does not mean miracle from God. You see, you can't go back there. So don't look back there anymore. Let's stand here today as we close. In this moment, as we come to a close, I want to propose a question. What good is it to consider God? What good is it to encounter truth? What good is it to connect with a message and do nothing with it? What good is it to realize that what we thought was hope in our lives isn't because we haven't been living with hope. We haven't had a living hope. What good is it to recognize that, to realize that, to sense the presence of God, to know that heaven touches earth right now and that God is speaking directly to you, that you're encountering God in a way that maybe you've never encountered him. What good is it to have that moment and leave the same? Jesus says you can't go back to the place of unbelief. You have to move forward. Father, today in your presence, we take this moment. I want to encourage you to go ahead and take a moment to just close your eyes. Not because it's spiritual. Just so that there's a, minim a minimizing of distractions. And I want you to wrestle with this question. What is Jesus saying to you? How is God speaking to you? Where might God be showing you something that you were unaware of? And what will you do from this point forward? What changes will you make? Father, today in your holy presence, we come before you, Lord, believing, oh God, in your word, knowing that it is true. And knowing, Lord, that even though we, fight, we fail and we fall short, even though at times we doubt, it doesn't scare you. In fact, you draw near and you meet us there. Father, today, I pray that you would strengthen us in such a way by the truth in your word that we would begin to believe again. Somebody needs to hear this today. It's time to dream again. It's time to look to the future with hope and great expectation. It's time to press forward and act 
instead of waiting for someone or something to come and do it for you. God says today, I call you to move forward. To trust and believe only in me. And know this hope that I give you. A hope that changes your present and solidifies your future. A hope that is unyielding in its ability to bring you through time and time and time again. Do I have any people in the house today that dare to put their hope, to believe that God is good and God can and will do all that his word promises for your life? Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.